Do you want to become a better hockey player this summer with Paul Vincent Hockey? Since 1972, Paul Vincent, currently the head skills instructor of the Florida Panthers, has been developing NHL and college hockey players. Paul Vincent stands by his saying, there is always room for player development. Players such as Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, Matt Grizzlick, Patrick Sharp, Adam Oates, and many more have trained with Coach Vincent and his staff and have outstanding results. Join Paul Vincent this summer at one of his four Massachusetts locations, Canton, Saugus, Middleton, and Falmouth on Cape Cod. Registration is now open for 2022 camps. To reserve your spot today, go to pvhockey.com or call 978-807-4070. That's pvhockey.com or call 978-807-4070. Paul Vincent is ready to get back to work this summer. Are you? Welcome to New England Hockey Journal's RinkWise Podcast, the podcast for serious hockey players and their supporters to help further their development and navigate their way throughout their hockey careers. And now, here is your host, New England Hockey Journal's Kirk Ludicky. We are here with another episode of New England Hockey Journal's RinkWise Podcast. I'm your host, Kirk Ludicky. I am happy to be joined in studio today by Dave Peters, amateur scout, Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, he is a Quincy guy, grew up across the street from Shea Rink and played at Archbishop Williams back in the day. He's been involved in hockey at all levels as, as a player, as a coach, and now as, as a scout, uh, and, and, he's, and he's a player developer as well. So exciting to have him uh, joining us here. Uh, Dave, thank you so much uh, for making the trip to Milton, uh, and it's, uh, I bet it's nice to be in your old stomping grounds again. It, it sure is. Uh, really appreciate you having me on, and uh, I'm excited about it. Right. So, I mean, we were kind of talking about, um, you know, what you're up to now. That the the, uh, the schedule is is constricting or contracting rapidly. Um, uh, college season's over. The midget hockey's done. I was just I was just out at nationals in in Michigan. Uh, but what uh, what else is out there for you to to continue to look and watch as you as you get closer to that July uh, NHL draft for Columbus? Well, right now uh, it's the USHL, North American League, still going strong, uh, getting down the stretch there and heading into the playoffs and the uh, World Under-18 uh, tournament over in Germany uh, will be later this month into early May. So those are things that we're looking forward to. Right, and that, that Under-18 tournament is, is always, a, it's an interesting time because you're looking at the you're looking at the 04s this year, and and it's a chance for them to to really kind of step up. I think you know a lot of, what a lot of people maybe mistake is that they think that maybe that tournament has a huge influence. I mean, you guys have pretty much been looking at players all year. In a lot of cases, uh, the under 18s is just a chance to validate what what you know and see how they how they do. But I mean, I remember Fabian Lysol having a pretty good uh, event for Sweden last year, and that maybe helped him. Uh, land with the Bruins in the first round sure you're going to have uh, every NHL team will be there and uh, it's just a chance uh, another opportunity to evaluate the players and see them in different types of situations and uh, we have seen uh, see them quite a bit this year but uh, again another opportunity to see them play against the best uh, in their age group that's that's terrific so let's talk about you a little bit and okay I mean you you, you are local um, but when you, how did you get into the game? Uh, how, who really influenced you in your in your formative years? Uh, that is, uh, you know, allowed you to to to, to continue to stay in hockey and, and do what you've been doing uh, now, working for an NHL team. Well, I think uh, uh, Rob Riley uh, has been a huge mentor for me. Um, I walked on at Boston College, and he was uh, he had just graduated, and he took over as an assistant coach. He was coaching the JV team, and I played for Rob for a couple of years, and uh, uh, he he was a really good coach, and uh, he taught me a lot. He cared about us as as we played on the JV team. So sometimes you know you you don't uh, have that status, and uh, Rob, uh, you know he, he really worked with us, and he cared about us, and. Uh, 
I learned a lot uh, from him. And as I went forward, uh, I get into the textile business. Uh, we had a family business right out of college, and uh, uh, but I, I was always a hockey guy at heart. And uh, I started coaching high school here in Quincy, uh, actually Weymouth North for a year as an assistant coach uh, in the late 80s, and then uh, North Quincy High School. And uh, Billy Sweetie, who uh, was a teammate uh, of ours at Boston College, had been working for Rob Riley at Army, and he took over the job at uh, Kent State out in Ohio. And they were going to start uh, Division One hockey and uh, eventually uh, be accepted into the CCHA. They were Division One independent at the time. So Billy, through Rob, gave me my first opportunity, and uh, it was uh, a really great learning experience for me because we were building a Division One program. I had a little geoprism that I drove everywhere. I was, uh, I was in Ontario. Um, I drove out to Saskatchewan. I was in the USHL and uh, North American League. And uh, it, w- it was really uh, interesting about it. And, and the reason I feel like I learned so much is that you're at Kent State University you're looking for a Division One hockey player, and you're not going to get the best players. So you see who the best players are out there, and then you try to find players that uh, might be close Maybe they can uh, pass some of the players that are the top profile recruits. So it was a tremendous learning experience because you weren't going to win any recruiting battles and you had to find players that, uh, you know, may end up being better than the players who are already committed. And, uh, you know, so it taught you how to evaluate and project. So I think those three years uh, really helped me uh, as far as the recruiting and evaluation. How many uh, gas miles, miles to the gallon did you get on that geo prison? A lot. Probably pretty good. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> Talk but. about a scout mobile, man. That, that, uh, I remember the geo prison. Yep. That's a perfect vehicle to put a lot of mileage. What Do you remember how, how, what your odometer said when, when you were all done? I don't. I don't. <laughs> but uh, it, was, uh, it was a lot of miles. And, uh, you know, we obviously had a decent budget, but not the, uh, the same type of budget as some of the big-time programs. So uh, if I could drive, uh, I still like to drive anyway. It gives you that control and autonomy as long as it's not too far guys tease me because uh i'll drive six or seven hours and uh most of the guys fly i just uh, i enjoy the driving part of it and uh so we covered a lot of ground and uh it was a great experience because uh the team was up and coming and uh you know, you were allowed to make a mistake. You know, if you if you're not 100 percent sure on a player and you like him, you can still you can still take him because uh, you, you feel like he can help you. You're not the standard isn't so high already that you're looking for the best of the best, which you probably wouldn't get anyway. So that um, you know, and I love doing that. That, that that's I really uh, enjoy evaluating. And the thing about being a, an assistant coach uh, is the head coach builds the program. And I think the assistant coaches through the recruiting build the team. And that's a lot of fun to, to try to help put a team together. Right. It's a lot of collaboration because you have to know what the head coach wants. So how did that, that, that whole collaborative process that you go through, how does that shape you for the rest of what you've been doing in your career? Well, I think that's, that's everything. You have, to, you have to work with people and uh, your ideas aren't necessarily going to be the same as the head coaches. And I remember, uh, you know, a lot of times being an assistant coach where you like a player and the head coach goes and sees him and he doesn't quite like him and, uh, because he doesn't play, uh, you know, uh, that well that night. Or there's times that I, I like players uh, because uh, I saw the potential in them and uh, maybe the player didn't skate as well or wasn't as strong, but I saw his ability to, you know, handle a puck and make plays. And I thought, geez, you know, when he gets stronger, uh, he's going to be really good. He's going to be that same smart player with good hands uh, who can make plays and he's going to be able to skate. And uh, sometimes the head coach will go and see him for the first time. And it, it, it's hard because, well, you know, uh, he didn't. He didn't play that well. So you have to. Uh, you have to have to, the trust of the head coach, and that's something that uh, you know uh, you have to establish. You have to earn uh, the trust of the head coach and and the other assistant uh, or assistants to uh, and work together because there's times you know you're not always going to be right, and there's times that when the head coach or the other assistant coach looks at a player and has reservations. 
well, then I, I would take that uh, constructively and go back and look and say, well, you know what, maybe they're right and maybe I'm reaching a little bit too far in this player and I don't quite see enough. So it works both ways and that's the type of collaboration I think that you use in any business going forward to just try to get it right, uh, get as much information as you can about players and, uh, and project them. Well, and I, that's bringing me back to my first first couple years in Omaha and where I was just praying when, when David Wilkie would be in to, <laughs> to see the players that I was really high on. I was just praying they would play well. Nationals in Philly uh, in 2018 was my first real real test. Did all right. I survived. I'm still breathing. I have a heartbeat. So, um, But I can totally relate to that. So uh, what, what led you to Providence College? Well, um, I had actually, uh, I was at uh, Kent State for three years, and uh, uh, I was married to my wife, uh, Kath, uh, and um, my second year out at Kent State, and we lived apart. She worked for the city of Boston, so, and I wasn't really making enough money uh, for us to to move out there and live together, and it was just an opportunity to get back home, and uh, now before that, I I had uh, gone to UMass. Uh, as Joe Mallon's restricted earnings coach during the summer. So when UMass uh, revitalized their program and they were starting a Division One independent, Joe Mallon was the assistant at Boston College, got the job, and he hired me at the time it was restricted earnings. So I worked at UMass for the summer, and uh, we put a team together that competed in the fall. Uh, got the job in the spring, put the team together, competed in the fall as a Division One independent uh, at UMass, and, and uh, they did it. You know, they, they did pretty well uh, that year. So in August, Timmy Army had left uh, Providence uh, to take a job, um, I think, with with Anaheim uh, with Ron Wilson, and there was an opening for a top assistant at Providence College, and uh, our Kent State team had come in and swept Boston College and uh, Providence that that year. So Bill Sweetie, who knew Mike McShane and Rob Riley, uh, worked for uh, Mike McShane at St. Lawrence, uh, called me and asked me if I was interested. And uh, it was an opportunity to get home, be a top assistant in Hockey East uh, instead of uh, the restricted earnings position, which there was at the time a lot of talk about uh, that only being a temporary type of position, like you, like a GA position where you can only have it for two or three years. So uh, I felt bad about leaving, you know, the UMass uh, situation where we had just built the program, but I felt like, okay, uh, I can get closer to home, and I think that means more than anything. And uh, so uh, that's how I got to Providence. Wow. The Providence College back then was is a lot different from what it is now. So, mm-hmm. how, what was the kind of the state of the program, and and how was the the play in the Hockey East, mm-hmm. and what did you guys have to do to to be competitive? Well, at the time, Hockey East, uh, and it still is the Hockey East. The, the players in Hockey East at that time were unbelievable. I think Chris Drury was on the fourth line at uh, uh, at BU, and uh, they were loaded, and uh, uh, so Maine was really good at the time as well, right. and. Uh, Providence was in a little bit of a transition period. So after the first year, uh, Mike Mike McShane, who uh, was a really good coach, uh, he resigned, and Paul Pooley took over. And I had got to know Paul when I was out at Kent State. He was at Ohio State and then at Lake Superior State, so I got to know him and meet him on the road. So uh, he rehired me or kept me along, and, uh, uh, and, and he hired David Berard as well. So we worked together. Uh, the first year, it was uh, Paul came in as a disciplinarian with his playbook, and uh, I learned so much about the game. I thought I knew hockey until I worked for Paul Pooley, and uh, he uh, tactically was outstanding. Uh, his practices, discipline. Uh, I remember, um, you know, we had morning workouts and uh, uh, practice in the afternoon, study hall. Uh, I was monitoring the study hall. And then uh, we had playbook meetings nine to eleven at night, so it was a, it was a huge uh, culture shock. And I was an assistant coach at the time, so I was trying to uh, you know keep the players uh, sane, I guess. Uh, and uh, you know they were uh, it was a huge shock to them, but uh, it worked, and uh, we were in great shape. And uh, and the team um, 
went on. I think the the first year we we ended up getting to the finals, and then the next year we um, uh, were able to win the hockey's championship. Uh, and uh, so that was a that was a great experience. Learned a lot about the game. Yeah, and you you had guys like Joe Holbig on the you know mm-hmm. in, in in those Providence teams, and he was a he was a first round NHL pick of of the Edmonton Oilers at the time, Saint Sebastian's mm-hmm. guy, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Jerry Keefe was w- right, was on right. some of those Providence calls. He, he came out. You know, he was kind of a rarity because he was a he was a Massachusetts kid that went out after you know Mananon, uh went out to the USHL, right. played for Omaha. Um, just you know, Fernando Pisani, another yeah. another uh, <laughs> another NHL name that that people might remember. I mean, some pretty good players on those teams what how how prepared were they for hockey east and 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 how enjoyable was the situation you know just being around those student athletes and watching them grow and 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 being able to mentor and influence them right that was a lot of fun uh obviously uh uh the league uh was probably the best league in the country uh at the time and uh jerry uh was out at omaha and uh he we recruited him and he stayed one more year and uh you know i don't know if he uh, maybe he wanted to go to bu or one of the boston schools but uh we stuck with it and he came in and he was a really good player for us uh pisani was uh, uh out of alberta and uh he played in the new england college development had a showcase in hingham and i saw him there he was, he was playing uh, on a calgary team uh but uh uh, we were able to recruit him, and uh, he came in. and, and uh, One of the years uh, uh, with uh, Mikey Omicelli, uh, that line each player had f- over fifty points, and they were uh, they were a dynamite uh, group. Uh, and with uh, during that hockey's championship, Joey Halbig was huge. He stepped up big. Uh, uh, Coach Pooley had him on defense on the power play, and he put him he paired him with Hal Gill at times. Um, the, we used to call them the Twin Towers, and uh, um, you know we had to shut teams down. Uh, I'm going back uh, to the Hull Big years. Where we won the Hockey's Championship. That was '96, and then when a new group came in uh, uh, with Hull, um, Jerry Keefe and uh, Pisani and uh, uh, Omicelli and Drew Omicelli. You had Russ Guzier too. Russell Guzier, yeah, yeah. He so was a heck of so, a player. Yeah, so yeah. funny story. I, I. Um, played beer league with his brother Ryan who was at Merrimack right, right. Uh, and he was like he was like Wayne Gretzky in our beer league yeah. <laughs> I mean this was it this was in a in a small place in Missouri I was I was stationed out at Fort Leonard Wood but it's a small world as I'm looking at some of your old teams and I saw Russ I said no that wasn't Russ I think I'm pretty sure he was still playing minor pro at the time but yeah. Ryan the younger brother yeah. was in that league and yeah. man um, I still have you know nightmares of him smoking some yeah. smoking some pucks over you know right at my head and yeah. things like that. Russell but, was a really talented player yeah. out of uh, Culver, and uh, uh, he was a really good player for us. Yeah, so so Providence College kind of set the. I mean, you're you know you had you had maybe started your building blocks at Kent Kent State, uh, Julian Edelman, uh, and then uh, you Providence College. So from there, you made you took a little bit of a detour, mm-hmm. and uh, you spent some time in junior hockey. Tell us about right. That. So, uh, we had an opportunity to coach in the North American League after uh, after Providence, and uh, you know we decided. My wife and I decided to uh, take a uh, take a trip out there, and uh, it was Danville, Illinois, and they were part of the North American League. And uh, the owner of the team, Josh Mervis, had been a volunteer for uh sean walsh at uh at maine so i got to know him uh you know through hockey he's a character uh, he is a character (laughs) and uh uh just great people and uh so we went out there and uh i was able to uh to coach the north american league we didn't have a ton of success that first year uh anytime you move whether it's uh within the college game or midget hockey junior hockey or even uh scouting there's a learning curve and uh, I had a huge learning curve, uh, but uh, but I enjoyed it, and uh, it uh, it taught me a lot uh, about midget hockey, where 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 the players come from, and uh, there's less of a projection because they they have to help you now. So I was in the projection mode, and I got some uh, 
players that maybe weren't ready to play junior hockey in a, in a small barn, and uh, you know we weren't tough enough. But I, I will say that the we I was there for a year, and uh, my wife and I had our uh, our son Jake out there, and uh, we were looking to get back. But the next year they ended up winning the North American League championship with a lot of those same players. So uh, I felt like I uh, I took my lumps, but uh, we learned a little bit, and uh, they had some success after that. So you end up you end up at Dartmouth, Hanover, nice uh, my my home state, nice nice place to nice place to be. But again, you're 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 part of something. You you've got you've got an established program, Ivy League. Now you've come from you went from the hockey East, and now you're in the Ivy League. What's mm-hmm. the big What's the big ch- change in your mindset and the way you have to approach things as an assistant coach and a recruiter? Because I have to think. You know, getting getting into uh, Dartmouth and and being able to actually be a student athlete at Dartmouth is a is a whole different scenario for you as a, as a recruiter compared to what you were used to. Right. No, there's no question about that. And uh, the reason we came uh, back east is just to be close to family uh, with with a baby. And uh, I had known Bob Gaudet. When I was at Providence, he was at Brown, and I knew the assistants that had worked for uh, Bob, and they kind of uh, gave me a good plug and said, you know what, you want to talk to Dave, and uh, it worked out. Uh, unbelievable small town um, and a great place to raise a family, and uh, uh, I was there with Bob and uh, Brendan Wittett, and, right. uh, and the team had been struggling, uh, and what pe- a lot of people don't know is that... Uh, the year before I got there, um, uh, Jamie Rice and uh, and Brendan, and then Brian McCloskey were there, and there was a really good uh, freshman sophomore class. They hadn't won a lot, but the table was set for that team and that program uh, to turn. And uh, I was a, a beneficiary of that as I went there, and we were able to recruit um, a lot of really good players. Different in that uh, you don't have scholarships and there are admission standards. But I still went with the same philosophy. I wanna I wanna like a player, project a player, and then you know there always comes in. Can you get them? So I think a lot of the a lot of the recruiters nowadays. Okay, I got a visit out of this player and that player. Well, you're not going to get them. You have to know who you can get. So a lot of people, uh, you know, are interested in an Ivy League school. And, and for, for me, the th- what had to fit, I had a simple formula. I really like them, and I think we can get them. And there were players, obviously, that want to go Ivy that you don't feel like uh, are good enough. And there are players that you really want, but they have no interest in the Ivy. The finances have to work. The admissions has to work. Right. Uh, and there's also a few schools called Harvard, Yale, and Princeton that if they want to go Ivy, they can go there too. So most of the players that we recruited, um, and this is where the Kent State, I think, uh, training ground came in, they weren't being recruited by a lot of other people. Because at that time, because, uh, you know, maybe more success with other programs, it, it wasn't a top priority for, uh, for some of the kids, I would, I'll say. So you said something, and I want to pin you down a little bit. You said, I like them. You know, you said, I like the player, right? And then any other thing, you know, I'm sorry, it was, I like the player and... I think we can get him. I think we can get him, right. That's great. key. Right. So I like the player. How, do, how, how does a player be liked by Dave Peters? What, is okay. a play, what, is, what are the attributes that a player that you gravitate toward when you're watching them on the ice, what do they bring? To me, um, I'm a big hockey sense guy, and I, I want to know, you have the puck, what happens next? Whether you're a forward or a defenseman. If uh, and and you know what I'm not always right, okay? Because sure, where, where no. I think the puck should go, or where you, you you should go as a player, well, maybe that's the wrong spot. But I look at when a guy has the puck, what happens next? Is it a turnover? Is it a does? Is there a play there that he makes? Is there a play there that he doesn't see that he should make? And those types of things. Aside from, you know, you look at everything, size, speed, skill, can he score from the outside, uh, does he compete? Huge. Huge. There are so many skilled players that uh, you get excited about. Hey, he can skate, he can handle a puck, uh, he can make the odd play, he can score. 
Uh, but, you know, uh, I give a quick story here, jumping no, around. No, please. No. We so want that. Um, uh, as, a, as an assistant coach, uh, colleges go to the USHL camps. So Mark Carlson is a coach of Cedar Rapids in the USHL. So if they have their tryout camps in June. And usually, um, you know, coaches will go to two or three and maybe go a weekend and catch two or three, a couple days or a day and a half at each place. So we're all out there and uh, on the board is supposed to be a scrimmage. And uh, we're all getting ready for a scrimmage. All of a sudden, Carlson comes out in his skates and it's going to be a practice. So all the coaches are saying, oh, we thought we were going to see a game. Now we're going to see a practice. So he's got a drill where, and this is their evaluation camp. He, he has a, a player on each side of the net, and he's got a, a handful of pucks. And he takes a puck, he's standing in front of the net, and he throws the puck behind the net, and the player from each side, they go, and it's a puck battle. And to him, that was a huge part of his evaluation. So, uh, and it actually was more beneficial than the scrimmage. Because it, it comes down to, can you come up with a loose puck? Are you going to win a battle? Uh, you know, he can get there, but what happens when he gets there? He never comes up with a puck. And there are some guys that are so determined mm-hmm. uh, and so competitive that they have the puck. Yeah, there's a hitch in their stride or, you know, uh, they're, maybe they're not big enough or, or, or they're a little uh, undersized. But it's the competitiveness in the hockey sense. And then you try to say, okay, well... Uh, maybe this guy can get stronger. Can he get what he doesn't have? So we're all looking for smart players and talented players. And uh, you have to, you, you, the best players at a Dartmouth or even a Providence at the time, you're not going to get, okay? The best players grow up wanting to go to certain schools. You have to find the uh, uh, players um, that uh, are going to become as good or with a group, you can beat a team of the best players. Now, you look at the uh, – so that's – for me, I want a competitive player, a smart player. You know, you look at the Frozen Four, uh, and you look at that Mankato, they were a period away from winning with one NHL draft pick. And right. Michigan – And then, they limited uh, them to eight shots know, at the time, it, you through know, 40 minutes. Denver. Uh, so they, you know, they find a way to build a team, and to me that's fascinating. Because they're players that uh, uh, maybe are somewhat overlooked, late bloomers. So that's that was the type of player that I was I was looking for at Dartmouth and and even at Providence as well. Yeah, it's fantastic uh, because it's really this, when you're building a team, it's about finding the right guys, mm-hmm. you know. And again, we we've, we've talked about it many times. We've had different coaches and scouts and hockey guys on the on the podcast, and it all comes back to a common theme and that is you can't just load up on skill guys you you know you can do that in the video games mm-hmm. uh, but at the end of the day you've got to have lower line guys that are heavy guys that are bring energy grind that know their role and embrace that identity and are willing to and are willing they might have been the star guy in many cases they have been the mm-hmm. star player on their on their teams before it's the special kid who says look I want to be a pl- I want to be a D1 player I want to play in the Ivy League but I'm not going to be able to, you know, he knows he's probably not going to be that first line, first mm-hmm. unit power play guy, but he's willing to go and be a third, fourth liner. Right, right, for yeah. sure. Listen, everyone, I want to let you know about a great team that is training the next generation of hockey players. It's Bando Performance. Their experts work with hockey players at all levels, from youngsters to Olympians, right on up to the pros. And I'm going to tell you how to get a great deal with them in just a sec. Bando Performance's small classes ensure the best odds for success for athletes looking to increase power and performance, as well as their nutrition and health. It has the same high-tech equipment you'll find in NHL weight rooms that hockey players use to increase their strength, speed, and power. So listen up. Go to bando-performance.com and pick a training program that's right for you. And this is the good part. For RinkWise listeners, use the discount code to get a 30% discount. That's bando-performance.com with the code BANDO30OFF and see your performance improve immediately. Do you want to skate fast? For 50 years, Laura Stam instructors have taught youth players to pros how to skate correctly, powerfully, and fast. 
Players who attend Laura Stamm power skating programs learn how to skate fast by learning how to execute every maneuver in hockey. They become powerful, stable, efficient, and explosively fast skaters. If you can't wait for a clinic, join our subscription skills video service and we'll show you the skills taught at our clinics in an easy-to-use video format with training plans to guide your training. Register or subscribe now at laurastam.com. That's L-A-U-R-A-S-T-A-M-M dot com. You can learn to skate fast. I'm interested. You had, I mean, you spent you spent a few years building it, um, and, and you got there right at the, you know, right around the the turn of the century. I don't want to make it sound <laughs> more dramatic, but that was 22 years ago, right? But mm-hmm. you're you're at Dartmouth, and within a couple of years, you've got two of these really you know interesting, intriguing players that were both drafted in 2003. Mm-hmm. And one guy was taken really early and he had all the tools and he seemed like a can't miss kind of prospect and then this other guy was taken you know fifth sixth round something like that mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. kind of overlooked but had been in been in, been in the program a while and just seemed to get better and better i'm mm-hmm. talking about hugh jessamine and lee stempniak well two two great players for us and uh, uh they played on the same line and uh the year that uh, they actually both got drafted, Lee had been through the draft. And uh, Lee was a player that we, we took out of, uh, uh, out of Buffalo. Uh, he played in the um, Ontario uh, Junior Hockey League. And uh, he, he really uh, improved his game. He was a really good player up there. And uh, Brendan Wittett actually was the first one who saw him and uh, was uh, uh, a big uh, influence in, in, in Lee coming to Dartmouth. But uh, uh, Lee had great hockey sense. And uh, he improved his skating. Uh, he uh, was really into conditioning. He had an unbelievable work ethic. And uh, he could just flat out play. And uh, I remember uh, a Division One coach told Bob Gaudet, you know what, I don't think he's a Division One player. So Lee, uh, and he went through the draft. So Lee improved. Uh, Hugh was 6'5", great hands. Uh, he could shoot the puck. Uh, he had vision, okay, so he had pretty good hockey sense. And, uh, you know, his compete was okay. He was more of a, a, a young kid when he was with us. And uh, he was taken, I think, 14th overall by the Rangers, same draft. So you go on and you say, well, okay, uh, Lee Stempniak plays uh, a lot of games and a lot of years in the National Hockey League. And uh, Jessamine, uh, you know, kicks around in the American Hockey League and doesn't quite live up to that potential. Well, I look at it as more of a positive uh, for Stempniak than a negative for Jessamine. Uh, Lee Stempniak worked his way. Uh, he was overlooked, uh, maybe because of the league he was playing in. Uh, maybe before Jessamine got to Dartmouth, people weren't watching Dartmouth. Uh, maybe people questioned a 5'11 player. Is he fast enough? Is he tough enough? And he, he, he is all the above. And uh, great sense, great compete. Uh, more of a he was a streaky goal scorer uh, confidence was big for him uh, and when he got going he was he was a really good player he played on top lines uh, you know in the NHL and uh, uh, just could be on the power play uh, so really good up and down the lineup player he can kill penalties he'd be on your power play he can play in the third line uh, maybe not you know quite a fourth line type of player but he can play in the top nine Jessamine uh, you know, I think he uh, when he went to the uh, he went to the Rangers. He ended up in Hartford and uh, he in the American League. So I look at Jessamine and I say, well, he left after his junior year and he he hurt his ankle uh, at the end of his junior year. Re- required surgery. He wasn't the fastest guy to begin with. So the pace was uh, maybe a little bit of an issue. I didn't think he was a bad skater. But uh, he was a very good offensive player. And you're talking about a guy, if you go back and look, he had 20 goals in the American Hockey League three years. He had 18 goals another year. So how many guys, you know, they're 6'5", get 20 goals in the American Hockey League three years and uh, 17 one year, 18 another year. So he he didn't have quite the opportunity. So, uh, you know, I think he could have played more. It just it just didn't work out as well. Uh, maybe being 
such a high draft pick, the expectations were higher on him, and that may have worked against him a little bit. But he was a good player, great, great guy. And here's a guy who went back, got his degree at Dartmouth, and uh, played a, a, a long pro career, played a couple games in the National Hockey League, and had a blast playing the game. So I think it's a success story on both parts. Yeah, 100%. You know, look, he, he, he played in the NHL. Yeah, That's no, my not, positive spin. Not, not, many, not many can say that. I think, I think in addition to the high expectations, it was such a good draft. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about when, like, when you go back, look at the Hall of Famers that are going to come out of that 2003 draft. Year, whether you're talking Marc-Andre Fleury, and Eric Stahl at the top. You've got Patrice Bergeron, and the and then you can get a guy like Lee Stempniak who had 27 gold. I mean, Lee Stempniak made basically made the St. Louis Blues out of Dartmouth. Mm-hmm. You know, he mm-hmm. he did play some time in Peoria, but I mean, he spent most of his rookie pro season in the NHL, making an impact, and he was right. a 27 goal guy. So, I see think that speaks to the job you guys did mm-hmm. uh, at, at Dartmouth to prepare players like and he went he's got to put in the work but he's mm-hmm. a certain kind of player and you and you touched on it earlier he could play up and down the lineup and that right. versatility was key so let's talk about bob Godette. Mm-hmm. what did he teach you um you know being his assistant as long as you were and and and, and just being able to watch him operate and you said mm-hmm. it earlier the head coach builds the program right the the, the assistant coaches you know find the team get the right. players so what what'd you learn from coach so Godette? uh uh, really good friend, uh, really good guy uh, and coach. Uh, uh, what he did was he cultivated people. So uh, he would re- he treat people with respect. Uh, you know the equipment people, the uh, the people in the office, other other coaches, people in the athletic department. He wasn't a tyrant who would walk around demanding things. Hey, we're hockey, we deserve this. He would. Everybody liked Bob. And uh, everybody respected Bob, so everybody was rooting for Bob. And so he was building uh, a program and treating people the right way so that we could get what we needed. You know, we had a tremendous relationship with the admissions office. So if there was a player that was borderline, we were going to get the benefit of the doubt. We never worried about budget. I don't even know what the budget was. He just said, go, no red flags. Uh, If you think you need to go someplace, go. Uh, we'll take care of it. We treated the players uh, the right way with meals. Like sometimes, you know, you've got a meal budget and you need you need three meals a day on the road and, you know, you got enough for breakfast. So uh, he made sure through the friends group that we supplemented our budgets, that we got players in, that we could get out there and recruit, uh, and that we treated the players the right way. Uh, he, tr- he treated the media the right way, so we started to get positive publicity and uh, – he, the biggest thing he did uh, is he put people in the right positions to be successful. So he 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 trusted me and Brendan uh, to to find players. He um, he empowered us. So he basically put the recruiting in our hands, and he trusted us. And uh, I think that um, that's a, the sense of a true leader who's building a program, and uh, he was there to close deals. He was there to be a presence whenever we needed him there, but he let us do it. There are so many head coaches who think they can do everything and they micromanage and they don't trust the people that they have. You hire good people and you build a program and you, and, and, and you try to support them. And, and that's something that uh, I think uh, not a lot of people recognize as far as what a head coach is supposed to do. They hire a head coach and think because he was a former player or because uh, he's had success uh, as an assistant coach that he can be a good head coach. And I think those are things that uh, putting people in the right place and empowering them and trusting them. And, uh, you know, he let us, he let Brendan work with the D. He let them work on the penalty kill. He let me change the forwards, work with the forwards, work on the power play. And uh, we felt we felt like we were a team and we were a part of it and, you know, if we if we liked the player, uh, he wasn't going to say no. He was going to do he was going to do everything in his power to make us successful, and then in turn make the program successful. Wow! And then those are like you said, it's critical attribute. No one wants to be in a situation where you aren't empowered or you don't feel like you're trusted. And I think it speaks to the relationship you had that you were there. Mm-hmm. And you know, and you look. I mean, it isn't just about Stempniak and and and. Jessamine, I mean, Ben Lovejoy, David Jones, Tyler Secure, still playing. Right, right. right. I mean, you have a legacy, and I think 
I mean, again, I, I was not a coach. That's not my background. But I think, you know, when I look at Noah Cates scoring in the NHL for the Philadelphia Flyers, you know, like he was on, he was on my first Omaha Lancers team. And when you look at those players that go on to have success, you're not claiming credit for it, but you maybe had a little bit of a hand in, 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 in helping them along. And and it feels good to see. And that's really, it's about the, you know, the legacy is seeing other seeing your players be successful, not only in the game, but in life. Yeah. there's, There's no question about it. And you see a lot of former players now, that uh, are in coaching uh, and they're in scouting and it's just great to see them. Uh, they're in management and uh, it's just fun. It's just about the relationships, about uh, uh, all of us just uh, uh, working together and uh, being part of a great game and earning a living and uh, uh, dealing with people. And, and uh, it's just a lot of fun and it's very rewarding and exciting to see some of the successes that the guys have and it's great to see them on the road now. So you end up going to South Kent at a time when, so, you know, we Shattuck St. Mary had established this full season academy, you know, model kind of thing, right? And I, I think I'm pretty certain it was kind of started in, in mm-hmm. Minnesota mm-hmm. and then it comes out east to South Kent. How did that opportunity come up and, and, and how did you enjoy that experience? So I, my son at the time was, uh, he was at Cardigan Mountain School, which is about a half hour from Dartmouth and, uh, he was an undersized uh, player at the time, uh, and uh, we were looking for a prep school for him, and we looked at all the prep schools, uh, you know, the hockey prep schools in the area, but uh, we felt like a- as an undersized player going in as a ninth or 10th grader, you're not going to play um, until you're a junior or senior. And they had JV hockey, and JV hockey at times at some of the preps is an afterthought, so and I'm not saying it's all about the hockey. It's not. But you want, you know, he wanted to have a hockey experience. And uh, so we looked at uh, at South Kent, and uh, my wife and I went out to take a look at the school. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't say anything, but I'm thinking there's no way we're coming out here. Or he's coming out here because they were in the middle of nowhere, right? But uh, uh, really nice campus, really good people. At the end of the tour, my wife said, I think this would be great for our son. So I knew Devin Rask. Uh, and a uh, former Providence player. He, we missed each other at Providence, but uh, I knew Devin and, uh, and Matt Plant, one of the other coaches there. And uh, I half-kiddingly said, you know, if there's an opportunity for me here, um, you know, I wouldn't mind being part of the coaching staff, whatever role you have. And the thing about South Kent for my son was they had a U16 American team and a U16 national team. And the American team could be for kids that are, aren't quite there yet. And he, I felt like he could play there and have a great hockey experience and be part of it. And I also felt like, you know, if you're at Dartmouth uh, and you're recruiting or playing games on the road, how are you going to ever see him play? And uh, I would, I'd been there at the time. I'd been there 15 years. I had applied for some head coaching jobs and, uh, uh, you know, uh, didn't work out. But uh, I was happy at Dartmouth. But I just felt like, you know what, my wife and I are saying, are we crazy to do this? Because uh, Devin, you know, Devin had a spot. He said, you can coach, you can coach the U16s and you can live on campus and help us out and be part of this program. And, and I said, we're crazy to do this. And, and we thought about it. We're crazy if we don't. And what's it all about? So we got to be part of an unbelievable program. Uh, we got to be with my son uh, for three years. We lived right on campus. Uh, the, the, the players that were there were uh, were big time. There were a lot of really good players there, surprising. They did a great job there. And uh, I learned a lot there. It was different, uh, uh, you know, another learning curve. Devin Rask did a tremendous job uh, building that program. He, was, he had the budget and the finance, and he had it all, uh, the financial aid. He had it down to a T. Great hockey guy, great administrator, um, and he, he's, he's the guy. Okay, and um, now you see what he's doing at at, uh, at Mount, and mm-hmm. uh, and also you know you go back and uh, Jamie Russell's doing a really good job at South Kent, so uh, uh, you know, and that's a really good spot, a lot of good people, so that was enjoyable. Matt Plant, talk about a good coach. I think Matt Plant's as good a coach uh, as as there is in the country. Hey everyone. 
If you're an 07 to 11 hockey player looking to develop your skills this spring and summer, Team One Hockey is ready to assist you. Team One Hockey registration is now open for their 10 weekly skills sessions, which start on June 3rd and end on August 4th. And coming this June 17th to the 19th is the annual three-day combine camp. It features on-ice training, as well as off-ice testing and video analysis. All sessions take place at Rustucci Arena in Wilmington, Massachusetts. Team One Hockey provides some of the highest levels of instruction and has special on-ice guests to provide perspective to the players and parents. There are a limited number of spots available. All sessions sold out last year. Register today at TeamOneHockey.com. That's TeamOneHockey.com to register for their 10 weekly skill sessions and three-day combine in June at Restuccia Arena in Wilmington, Mass. This summer, whether you're a youth player or pro, Lovell Hockey has summer clinics, leagues, and college combines that are right for you. Go to LovellHockey.com today to sign up for July and August programs. Availability is limited, so register before they sell out. So we've talked about your, your role as a scout. We've talked about your coaching. Tell us about academic hockey and, and what that is. Yeah, academic hockey is a, it's a small camp. I started when I was an assistant at Dartmouth. And uh, what it is is uh, we try to create an environment where players can come in and get recruiting exposure. And uh, there's a lot of camps around similar to it. The difference with our camp is it's small. Uh, we'll have 60 or 70 kids. Uh, we'll have three or four teams. And uh, we'll have some really good coaches uh, coach them in practice and, and in games. So uh, we have a website, academichockey.com. Uh, our email is academichockey at gmail.com. And on the website is my phone number. So when you call, I pick it up. So um, it, it's been very well received. And it's not about me. It's about the coaches. It just puts the group of coaches together with a group of players, and uh, it gives the, the players a great recruiting opportunity. And uh, we've, had, we've had really good players. We've had really good coaches. We've got coaches. Uh, what I try to do since we moved it to the rinks at Exeter is, uh, you know, incorporate more coaches. So we – and, you know, sometimes some of these camps have the big, big names or the big-name schools. We'll have Harvard there, and every coach in Northeastern uh, has, has been at the camp. And uh, – uh, BU, uh, but we'll, we'll have uh, ECAC teams. We'll have Colby, Bowden, Williams, Hamilton, Wesleyan, this year Amherst. So we'll have six or seven uh, Tufts. We'll have six or seven NESCAC schools. And I feel like being at, uh, at Dartmouth for so long, being in college hockey for so long, that uh, some of these Division three schools, uh, the experience that you can have and the education that you can get, if you have an opportunity to go to a NESCAC school um, and, you know, don't worry about that Division one. If it's there, fine. But if it's not there, you have a chance to uh, go to a NESCAC school. It's like hitting the lottery. And if, if your hockey can help get you in that you normally wouldn't have gotten in and, uh, you know, financial aid works, that's an unbelievable opportunity. For these kids, so I, I try to uh, I try to have a lot of NESCACs there and try to show the kids and explain to them it's not all about Division One, it's about an opportunity to continue to play the game. And I and I say to them, you know, everybody gets caught up in this recruiting process, and uh, you know, it's it's find the right fit, and I think that's important. Go where you know you you're gonna enjoy the experience and uh, play with a group of friends and uh, go where you wanted. Yeah. So I think that those things are important. That's all it is. It's about the coaches, and uh, I appreciate you letting me talk about it a little bit because it's been very well received, and I really enjoy doing it. Man, you've had some you've had some interesting players. I mean, not necessarily. How long have you been doing the camp stay? Camp has been uh, since '08, so it's about fourteen years. Okay. But we've had you know like Gavin Beirut that was at the camp, and uh, we had. Uh, Tyler Secura, so his brother Dylan went to the camp. I can't tell you that Northeastern found Dylan at the camp, but uh, uh, Dylan was at the camp. And I was at a game a few years back, a a Yale-Dartmouth game, and nine players on the the ice had gone through the camp. So it's, uh, you know, it's not a – there are so many pretty good players out there, and I think we've talked about this, very few elite players. So it's difficult – for college coaches to sort out 
Um, you know, some of the camps are big. Some of the tournaments, you're at different rinks and what have you. This just gives the kids an opportunity to play uh, in a small camp environment in front of some college coaches. Well, that's great. And it's, again, it's an opportunity for you to give back and mm-hmm. to help prepare. And I think that's what people want to be. They want to be prepared and they want to have options. And there's a lot out there. But uh, certainly with your pedigree and, and, and you know, the, your experience, there's something to be said for, for what you can offer. I guess as we wrap up here, um, we talked about what you look for in players on the ice. Mm-hmm. Um, what advice can you give, give, give a kid? that's maybe listening about what he needs to do off the ice to, mm-hmm. to be prepared to impress maybe D1 or D3, uh, or even if they have pro aspirations, what do they need to be doing? Well, I think you need to be ready to play. And whatever your routine is uh, on game day, whatever your, your routine is, uh, the week of the game, whatever your routine is in the summer, you've got to be prepared to play. Uh, and uh, and do the right things on and off the ice. Obviously, the if you're going to college, the the better students you are, the more opportunity that you're going to have. And you also have to know that everybody that you interact with, uh, the scouts and college coaches are going to ask. So if you have a coach that uh, that you don't necessarily get along with, you better find a way to get along with that coach. <laughs> and uh, and I think that's important because uh, you play for that coach and and. Uh, what you want to do, I think, is is put your best foot forward in every way possible. And I think uh, when you're when you're obviously doing the right things off the ice and preparing, but and, and on the ice, I think it's a matter of playing hard all the time and uh, having that good body language and bring energy instead of maybe sapping energy. If things don't go your way, it's okay, as long as you uh, are bringing energy, you're playing hard, you're back checking hard, you're hunting pucks sprint to the bench. If things don't go well, you turn a puck over uh, or puck bounces over your stick. Instead of shrug your shoulders, palms up, sprint to the bench. Somebody else struggles. You tap him, uh, give him a pat on the back. It makes him feel good. It makes you feel good. And now you're bringing energy to the team regardless of the score. Kids, listen. Okay, this is a, over five years, an NHL scout. Uh, his GM, a former Boston Bruin, Yarmo Kikalainen, uh, watched number 29 in the black and gold. I didn't put you on the spot, Dave, to talk about your boss. I'm sure you appreciate that. But, uh, you know, definitely he's uh, has a good hockey mind and has been at this a while and, and knows about team building. So uh, it has been such a pleasure to have you on the RinkWise podcast. Uh, thank you so much for coming all the way up to Milton from Connecticut to join us today. My pleasure i really enjoyed it okay and so uh, on behalf of myself and my awesome producer man behind the scenes steve saffron uh saff uh pleased to bring you this uh, podcast and dave peters again uh, columbus blue jackets a longtime coach longtime hockey man uh, thank you so much and until next time we will see you at the rink Thanks for listening to New England Hockey Journal's RinkWise podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast platforms. Follow us on Twitter at NE Hockey Journal, on Instagram and Facebook at New England Hockey Journal, and subscribe to New England Hockey Journal online at hockeyjournal.com. New England Hockey Journal's RinkWise is a Siemens Media Podcast.